Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Coming up on the payoff, Lilo Brancato is a guy who has been in my life and probably yours for a very long time. He played C in a Bronx tale alongside Robert De Niro and Chaz Palmateri, and he shot to immediate fame, uh, was an, an unknown, never acted before, had that opportunity, and as he explains to us, his whole life changed. Part of that change, addiction to drugs, became the number one thing in his life like it did for myself and other addicts out there. You can relate. When that thing gets a grip on you, it becomes your number one. And it was his number one. So much so that his life completely went off the rails. And he ended up in a situation where an off-duty New York police officer died. He went to prison for eight years, was sentenced for 10, went to prison for eight years. He's been sober 17 years now. And he's carrying an incredible message. He works at a treatment facility. He is still writing and acting. Um, and he's a special dude. He found out that this podcast was about recovery and said, no problem, I'll do it. And he gave us some really good stuff. So uh, without further ado, here's my man Lilo Brancato. But first, big bro, Kevin Souza. All right, so it's, by the way, so it's November 13th right now. You're, you're going to have 17 years sober in five, in five days. Is that right? Yeah, November 18th, yep. And so how does, how does that feel for you? Somebody who's, you know, the mountaintop, then you get to the bottom of the mountain, and now you're, you're, you're back up again with all the stuff that you're doing with your own film work, your writing, and helping other people out in recovery. You know, I mean, it feels great. I can't say that it gets harder. It gets easier because, you know, the fruits, the fruits, you know, the fruits of your, you know, the things that you've done, all the good deeds, the sobriety, everything, you know what I mean? It starts to, you know, everything starts to come to fruition. And and then you, you look at it and say, damn, I wish I would have lived this way back then. You know, it's uh, it becomes a lot easier just because you see how much easier life in general becomes and how much more manageable it becomes, and then it's just such positive reinforcement to want to keep going in that direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you'd start, you do something. You've talked about this. I've heard you, and I totally believe it. You do something, you build on that thing. It's like you do something esteemable, and you, you, you build confidence that way, and it does get easier in sobriety. Right. Um, it definitely does. Uh, and, you know, then it's about – you know, to me, it was never about going to meetings and stuff like that. I really never got anything from that. A lot of people do, and that's great for them, you know. For me, it's more about helping others, you know, because it's like I've seen the light, and it's like now you want to help them see the light because you know they can see it. They're just not looking in the right direction to see the light. And it's like, dude, trust me, I did this. Or, you know what I mean? So yeah. let me help you. Tell you what I think you should do, you know what I mean? And uh, it's a blessing to be able to be in that position to be able to help people. You know what I mean? Because it's like, you know, only because, you know, it's been so long for me and I trust myself. 
I can honestly say I trust myself. You can put me in any situation. Drugs could be around. Not that I gravitate towards situations like that, but there have been times, you know, unbeknownst to me, I go to, you know, I go wherever or put myself in a situation and it's like, whoa, I didn't know that was going to be there, but it just doesn't affect me the same way that it used to. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So now I'm really in, in place in a good place you know yeah well you're working at uh more life recovery and you're doing pr for them you do a great job of putting and this isn't even for them but you, obviously your success and your experience as an orator as an entertainer i mean you put up these videos on instagram um and i'll put your address in the show notes and stuff like that and you can say it later on but it, it, they're they're helpful dude and and it shows like you know somebody like you you have a really really unique power because people know who you are uh, people, it was public. We'll get into it, but you know, your fall from grace because of addiction, and now you're out there saying, "Hey, there is hope." I mean, when people, when people used to ask where you were 10, 15 years ago, or longer than that, right? It was like, "Oh man, I, I saw in the New York Post he got popped," you know, driving, you know, with drugs, or whatever. Now it's like, "Have you heard about this dude? Like what he's doing?" You know, I mean, it's pretty amazing. You know, I, yeah, you know. Unfortunately, though, not everyone sees it that way. A lot of people, you know, they're going to let, they're going to judge you and treat you according to the mistakes you made in life. It's like a scarlet letter, it just never goes away and just is what it is. You know, like I can't control how these people are going to act. The ones that, you know, can, you know, do judge me based on mistakes that I made so many years ago. But like I said, I can't control that or I can't control them. But what I can control is me. You know what I mean? And I try not to, you know, I'm not going to say I, because it, that kind of stuff did bother me in the past, but I'm getting better as time is going on to not let that kind of stuff distract me and to stay focused and to go, to go where I'm going, you know? Yeah. Your life is, is such an inter I mean, it's a, it's such an interesting life. It really is. You start off, you get discovered, I guess you're at Jones beach uh, and your brother right. tells you, Hey, they're, they're, they're casting or they're, they're, somebody's here from, this movie, A Bronx Tale, I told him you look like Robert De Niro. And your whole life changes, dude. Yeah. Basically. You know, it, that's happened twice. You know, because if you think about it, my whole life changed for the good in that situation. And then, like, the total antithesis, the total opposite of what happened there happened on December 10, 2005, because my life changed the other way. Yeah. So I've seen the both to where it's like, and that's why I don't like wasting time. Like, you know, like the older I get, time is more of the essence. Like people don't realize how important it is. It's like even like me having to repeat myself or something like that, that, that wastes time. You know what I mean? Because I saw, you know, two times in my life where one split second changed my whole life. You know what I mean? And if I hadn't been in either situation, you know what I mean? It was, you know, like, like what I'm basically what I'm saying is if I'm wasting time in one situation, I may have never saw that day in the Bronx tale because I took too much time here where my destiny was there. But the time I wasted here prevented me from getting there. Yeah. So that's why everything I try, you know, like, you know, like I am a perfectionist and I try to live life in a very precise way. I guess it's still the, uh, the incarcerated me. You know, because it's like that, you know, doing being incarcerated all those years, it incorporates structure in your life, which was something that I never had and that, you know, everyone needs. Everyone needs structure in their lives because then you'll just, you know, like there's no direction where you go. There's no structure. 
you know, when you know I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, you have that structure. Life just goes a little better. It's a little smoother, I think, you know? Yeah, and coming up for you, uh, you you seems like you had a, an incredible family. Your parents immigrated from Italy. They're so happy to be right. in America. They're grateful. Your dad was busting his ass. What was it like your, your childhood early on? I mean, we're a middle-class family. You know, I was adopted. My brother Vinny and I, we were nine months apart. I was nine months older than he was. We grew up in Yonkers, New York. My dad built homes. He was a construction guy. You know, like the Bronx Tale. Those, you, know, those, you know, I mean, day after day, it doesn't take, but try to get up day after day. I lived with that. Yeah. I saw that. I saw that and I heard that. I'd be sleeping in my room on a Saturday morning where it's like 12 degrees out and you can hear the wind through the window and you hear my dad making his espresso at 5.36 in the morning, going out there day after day. His hands were like sandpaper. You know what I mean? So I know what that was like and I respect that. And I do have to say that is the real tough guy. You know what I mean? Guys like that, like, you know, it's like, uh, it's very rare you see that. You don't see that too much of that anymore. You know, you, you know what I mean? By the way, you were adopted. And, you know, right. for me, you know, I'm, I'm sober, right? And it was kind of easy for me to trace the lineage because my dad's side of the family, they were all drunks and drug addicts and, you know, they did the best they could. But I knew I could point and say, okay, right there. How was that for you? And, you know, because it doesn't seem like your parents had any of these kind of problems. Um, you know, they didn't, they, my, my dad passed away in 2018, but my mom, there was no, you know, my, my mom's dad was a drinker. He liked the, you know, he liked the homemade way up wine. He drank a little more than he should have. And he did die of a uh, cirrhosis of liver. But, you know, it wasn't really around like people that didn't like my mother, father, they, that was a foreign thing to them. They didn't know much about addiction. So as it started with me, they didn't really know what would, you know, like, what do we do? And, you know, first they would yell at you and this and that, because they think that's the appropriate thing to do in a situation like that. But then they realize as time goes on, you turn into something that they don't even recognize anymore. And it's much bigger than them yelling at you and maybe, you know, giving you a beating or whatever, trying to straighten you out then they realized like, this is something that we don't know about. And this is, it's scary. And you know, where my addiction took me obviously was a, a place where another human being lost their life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something that I think about every day, you well, know what I mean? I wish, you know? Yeah. And I, and, and, and I've heard you talk about it and, and you know, it's, it's something we'll talk about in a little bit, but I, you know, you, your life goes uh, in the super positive direction with the Bronx tale and every, I mean, First of all, you know, for the alcohol and drugs, you started to drink a little bit, like at family occasions or whatever you would drink. But you, you talk about your first time smoking weed was a couple times with a real good dude who, like, didn't have a problem, but he was in the movie with you. Um, and that's when you kind of started to get to get high or, you know, you, as you described, like Weekend Warrior kind of is, is created at that point in time. Yeah, but it wasn't even a big deal. Like, you know, at that point, it was the weed. My friends, we used to laugh, listening to Pearl Jam's album. The first one came out, yeah. you know, around early '90s. We loved that. So, like, we weren't, we weren't, you know, like we weren't really bad kids. We liked to drink and stuff. But then, because of the whole Hollywood thing and that, you know, influence and how fast my life got, and just the things that were accessible to me, you know, at a young age, because of who I was and the movies that I did, it's like, you know, that stuff is like everywhere, and people, you know, just want to. 
They want, you know, they everyone wants to be your best friend, and you know, they think that maybe giving that stuff to you would make you like them more. And you know, that's just what happens. And you you live a very fast life. You don't have any real guidance because my parents didn't know about this stuff. They didn't know what to say or what to do in a situation like that. So you know, it was a recipe for disaster, and that's exactly what happened. You know. Yeah, you you the, like like that life. You know. You're, I, I watched the Stallone uh, documentary, and he talks about one on Netflix, and he says the moment Rocky One came out, he said that that literally the first night it was screened uh, in New York City, his whole life changed. It was never the same again. For you, I got to believe it was kind of the same. I mean, the show was, I mean, the movie was an incredible hit, and it's you and it's Robert De Niro, and not only are you awesome in the movie, but you're this unknown and, and somebody who was not an actor before this. I mean... The shift that had to happen in your life, can you can you describe that? Well, remember also, I was only like, even if it happened now, you know, how old was Stallone when that happened? Do you know? I think he was, he was in his 30s. I mean, he'd been in some stuff for a while, late 20s, 30s. That's, yeah. Right. That's, you know, I'm not trying to minimize. No, no, no. I mean, you know, he was, you know, I love Stallone. He's yeah. really one of my eyes. Uh, and I was half his age, though. You know what I mean? And, you know, so that kind of stuff, like, I was just discovering life. He already knew a little bit about the Hollywood thing. He, would, he was trying. He was right. But, like, all of this came, like, I didn't even go to my high school prom. I was just, like, being a teenager, a kid. So all those discoveries and all those new discoveries, just as a 16-year-old, can sometimes be overwhelming, right? Yeah. I mean, just that, normal yeah. stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then got this too. And it's like, I remember I had my own phone line. I remember I had an answering machine. And when this movie came out, it was like, I, I had a, it was unbelievable. Like I, I went out, like I had a, a shoe, a shoe box just filled with phone numbers. I would go out. It was like, you like Stallone said, it was never the same again. It was never the same again. Uh, and you just ride the wave. You ride it the best way you know how. As a 16-year-old from a middle-class family in Yonkers with real no, no real experience in this kind of thing, you know. And of course, you know, million monumentally, as Chas Palminteri put it, monumentally bad choices along the way. But I'm still here. I'm 47. I'm healthy. Um, trust me, I could outrun a lot of 20-year-olds, <laughs> and I did. Two of them. They were running away. They couldn't keep up. But you know, like I'm proud to say that, but I work hard. I work out. Yeah, you talk about day. you work out all the time, and it's a part of your recovery. Every, it's it's a part of a reflection. That's why I'm so water. Yeah, I'm so dehydrated. I worked out so hard today. You have no idea because <laughs> Monday, because Monday on the weekends I cheat a little bit. So you know, I got, you know, man, it's like a serious thing. I got three thermals on. I got the space heater on the house heater. I got the treadmill right in the other room. Yeah. So today it was serious. I got on the treadmill. You know, with all that water weight and everything, I was like a 178. And then after the, you know, after the workout, all that water and everything, I got down to about 170. So <laughs> that's why I'm drinking. But it feels good, though. You know what I mean? It feels great. Because it, it, you blow out all that steam, all that stress. And it's just like, even though, like, you know, like, even though things happen, bad things, good things. But I just feel when you do that and you work out and you push out all that nervous energy, it's just like. If everything slows down just a little bit and you're able to 
see what's in front of you, and it slows down just enough for you, but it, to, for you to have that edge and to make that better decision. Because you know what it is. It takes that one second, you make that wrong one, and then for the rest of your life, you're like paying for it. So I try to try to make better decisions nowadays. And you know, I tell people all the time, do not underestimate decision-making. It, it's gonna, it's gonna ultimately determine where you end up in life. So like really think about everything that you do, everything that you say has to have some thought put into it. It's the most important thing. Think before you act and think before you do anything and before you speak, you know? How about when, you know, you said you were 178 um, you, and now you're 170 after the workout. Uh, rigorous, obviously. But when you were a junkie, dude. 175, that's okay. what I weigh. Okay. So, but when you were a junkie, like, just like I was, you, you're not, you're not exactly f filled out. Like what, what, what was your weight at the height of your addiction? Oh, our, my first night in Rikers Island. Okay. This is after I'd been in Jacoby hospital in the Bronx after I got shot and you know, everything happened. I lost my spleen, part of my colon. I had a collapsed lung. I was on life support. So I was in Jacoby hospital December 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 13th, 4th, uh, wait, 12th. Like that, right around there. And then like the 15th, I went to Bellevue in New York City. Okay. Okay. So there, like, you know, we were heavily, you know, like we were on morphine, all kinds of stuff. Because we, you know, like we, he had gotten shot. My co-defendant had gotten yeah. shot also. So, so. Then we left there December 19th, 2005. We went to Rikers Island, like hell on earth, one of the worst places. And to be in that condition, and I remember that night, we saw the doctors and they you know, determined what medication they want to put you on and this and that. And I remember they weighed me that night. I was 132 pounds. <laughs> yeah, I was 132 pounds. I remember my ex-girlfriend, when she saw me in Bellevue, Cause you know, her father was, yeah. you know, my coder. So she came to see her father with her twin sister. And I was in the visit room with my mom and dad. And when she saw me, cause I, I let the beard grow. I didn't shave or anything. Uh, she said that because I was so skinny and then she saw me cause I had the jumper on and it was so loose. She said, you could see all the bones in my back. She never saw that before. And she said that I, and she started crying. She couldn't believe how, you know, no, but like the life was just sucked out of me. Yeah. Everything, my soul, everything. I was like rock. Well, I thought it was rock bottom, but you know what? It wasn't because I still continue to use after that point. You would think that everything that's happened, everything, you know, like another human being lost their life, you know, at the hands of my addiction. And, you know, we're doing, we're getting, got ourselves involved in all this, this big mess. And you would think like you would stop in your tracks and be like, you know what? That's it. I'm not doing this anymore. But it's it's it, it's not like that. It's such a crazy thing. I was looking to see if I can get bail, not even to go for home for Christmas, just so I can smoke crack and be high. I was looking for a way to try to run out of the hospital. So nuts. I was thinking I was in Jacoby. I'm still close enough to the guy's house who I get the drugs from, this guy Joe. He ended up telling him, he ended up getting on the stand and telling on me on trial, this guy, you know? I was thinking he was not that far. I could maybe slip the cuff off because I was to the I was handcuffed to the bed. Maybe I could do a quick sneak away, <laughs> go get a couple of, 
and just come back like nobody. Is that nuts? You know. Yeah, well, I mean? it's a, but but you're talking to another addict. I I, I understand it. Like for for people that are from the outside, it, it is it's completely insane behavior. But to me, you're. I mean, you're speaking my language in, in, in back in, in, in a different day, you know, and it's weird because like you tell your story and I'll ask you to kind of walk us through, you know, that night. So people know you, you're hanging out. You, you had this girlfriend who you dated was younger than you, like 19 or 20. You meet her, her father through that. 20. I was 20. Yeah. I was 28. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, I was with her for, you know, I was with her. Um, you know, her dad, she lived in the same house as her dad. She was going to college and this is in the Bronx or you know, Yonkers. 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 Okay. He was a, you know, he'd been in prison already a couple of times. And I found out, you know, he was a heroin addict because I got arrested for buying heroin in Yonkers and he got mad because he saw it on TV at the bar. And he said, I told you not to, you know, I told you not to cop drugs in Yonkers. Blah, blah, blah. Then he introduced me to his guy. And then, you know, and then I realized that he had, you know, he was doing as well. He was a drinker. So then, you know, like this girl, she kind of like slipped away. It was starting to slip away because of my addiction. She was going to school to be a doctor. She was in Fordham College. So she was doing good things with her life. And there was just no more room for me because of the way I was living mine. So I became friends with her dad. You know, we got close and then we started hanging out. And then that night, December 10th, 2005, this is the first time we ever went out like to hang out. We always just like go to the bar and we take him to get drugs. I'd get my stuff, drop him off. But this was like the first night, like we really went out. He called me, we went out and we didn't have any more stuff. We, you know, no one had it. it. It snowed the night before, it was cold out. And it was like, a, you know, we were sick. So we went out, we went to a strip club. We went to this guy's house after. He didn't have anything. I went to my, the little kid from the Bronx Hill at nine years old, he lived next door to the house we went to. That's how I knew this Vietnam yeah. veteran. I was to rob him i was a junkie broke his window to say yo yo you know what i mean I you knew dying. the guy I was, sick. I was sick it's not a burglary yeah. don't listen to what these people say it's not a burglary that's all nonsense i've never been in trouble before that night i was a drug addict i broke the window i was in, not in the house i did i took the screen out i never went in the house for a reason i wasn't looking to go and i was trying to get his attention like yeah i broke the window the thing dude again i can i can can relate i've been in like similar circumstances where you do that bonehead shit because you're trying to get high (laughs) i mean like at the time you're just trying to get high it's like i'm sorry about the window i'll take care i'll take care of that later i didn't forget about that i'll take care of the window and the screen i'm sorry but yo, do you got anything right now? Do you got like some codeine? Because that's what he had. He had the type of codeines. They're not the strongest, but you know what? If you take 15 or 20 of them, you're not going to be sick. Yeah. And you're going to be able to go to sleep. And then the next day, you know, you go find some dope. That's, that was the game plan. It wasn't like, let's go out and kill a cop and all that. That's what people don't understand. They try to lump you in. Like they try to put you in this. Yeah. Like they try to hurt you in this crazy thing. Yes. I was there. I was trying to get drugs. They make it out like this was a a planned thing, like we were some, you know, it just it's all. But listen, I'm not minimizing it. Someone did lose their life, okay. But the way they went about it, they could have looked at it totally different way. But it is what it is, you know. I don't want to talk about that too much anymore. Yeah. But it's because of that experience in that night, I am where I am today. Yeah. Sometimes something dramatic, profound like that has to happen in order for people to get to where they're supposed to be going. Yeah. So I truly believe that that's why it happened. I embrace it. You know, I don't shy away from it, obviously. Yeah. You know, the, the, 
I talk about it and it's what it is, you know? And I'm sorry to the family and everyone that I lived my life so carelessly at one time that it caused them to lose their brother and their son and all that, really. I yeah, am, and just so I people know, know you, you know, you show up, you don't have a gun, your co-defendant does, you don't even know it. This is all proven in court. Uh, you know, so a, a, an off-duty cop comes out and says, hey, what's going on? He's investigating. He get, He shoots you. Your your you know your co-defendant shoots back and kills the guy. I mean, so I, I mean. Well, listen. Well, my co-defendant got shot also. Yes. Got shot. He got shot six to nine times. You know, he got off one shot while all that was happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, listen. I'm not trying to say the cop was a bad guy. No. I'm not trying to say he was trigger happy or anything like that. It was a bad night. It was a horrible night for everyone involved. For everyone involved, listen, man, you know, like, even that guy, even that guy, I know he has to think about that night. That was a 28-year-old kid. Nobody had any intentions on doing anything like that. We were two drug addicts. We wanted to get high. You know what I mean? You know, you've been oh, yeah. in those shoes at one life, and so many other people have also. Yeah. And they can say, well, listen, we do crazy things, but I don't want to kill this kid, man. He was younger than me. He was younger than me. I, you know, like, come on. I just wanted to get not sick, go back home and go to sleep and then think about the next day where am I going to get my drugs? Yeah. Not all of that, you know? So, but that is what it is. But you know, like you, you mentioned before more life, Yeah. you know, more life. They took, they, you know, they took a chance on me because, you know, I'm sure they had to hear, you know, negative stuff concerning me and why would you, but you know what? They're all great. Yeah. And they're, you know, some of them, you know, over there also are recovering addicts. So they can empathize and sympathize with who I am and what I've been through. And uh, we all have a common goal, and that's to help other people. Yeah, and you're you know doing I mean? that, to dude. Use, you're you're, you're yeah, doing to, that. To use what we have and what we've learned along the way and, and, and pass it on to the next guy or the next girl. You know what I mean? And that's just the way it goes. And I'm so happy to be there. I love everyone there. And that's the way I stay plugged in. People stay plugged in with meetings and stuff like that. You know, for me, the meetings, you know, like I said earlier, it just gets easier for me. And I don't think like the meetings bring me back. Why do I want to keep hearing about that? I don't see the point, especially after all this time. And they say it's for the newcomer, but you can help the newcomer in another way. Not where I have to hear this all the time. It's to save your life, not to become your life. That's the way I see it, because there's so much more. It's like we get better so that we could see the things in life that we were missing. But then we still stay here and do this yeah. and remind ourselves the time of our lives that we never want to be again or never want to happen again. To me, that never made sense. Well, and you know, you know and, and, and in your what you're talking about here, too, is you know, you you that whole experience w would give you an opportunity to, to glorify some of it, too, because I, I was I was in New York when you were in New York. I was kind of at my peak. I, I can remember seeing you out like downtown and stuff. And like, you know, you were a normal. Nice... Yeah. <laughs> What'd you say? I said I was out every night of the yeah. week. So yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> so this is from 2000 to 2000, like three, I guess. But I just want to ask you, what was it like being, you know, the person you were, the person you are? Not only were you, you know, a popular actor, but you were in a movie that was like New York lore. You know, it's like being in Diner or like being in the Pope of Greenwich Village. Like, what was that like? for you to go around and operate and be in the nightlife. Uh, and, you know, you kind of have an all-access pass, I would imagine. 
Yeah. It was like everything was carte blanche, you know? And, you know, even like the New York City police officers, man, even to this day, I still have nothing bad to say about them. They were always like the coolest, coolest guys. Like, you know, many nights, like, you know what I mean? And so even to this day, you know, I've come across, you know, some cops. And I guess when they're together, they have to stand for cert or certain something. And they have to take a certain, a certain stance concerning me. And I, I respect that because, you know what, they stick together. They stick together. And the way they do, I respect so much. And also, I will say that the ones that I that are like, for the most part, you know, you would think that I would, you know, see these police officers and these, these members of law enforcement, it would be a negative. It's usually not. Yeah. It's a lot of times, see them one-on-one, -on -one, it's a different experience than you would have thought. And a lot of them are like, you know, a lot of them are really just cool dudes, man, and they understand what it is you know what i mean and uh you know i'm grateful for that and i hope you know the way i've lived my life since i came home has uh you know has at least made the death and someone losing their life worth it not worth it no but at least it, not worth it never worth it but at least gives it some positive meaning like this guy lost his life at the hands of this guy and this guy's addiction but this guy is actually doing something about it to where he recognized that his, his addiction was something that took, you know, to make a Dude, contribution. It's a I take. mean, it's a living amends. Like, I don't know you, you, I know you don't go to a ton of meetings. I do. That's, by the way, part of this podcast is so people know there's many different ways to get sober. That's why I started this. Like, I want people, I don't want people to be freaked out. Like, oh my God, if I get sober, I'm going to be in a church basement all the time. Like, that, that, that's not what it's about. You know, even if you do the 12 steps. About yeah. Yeah. about that you want your life back man go live it yeah don't keep yourself and that's the way i see it and you know like the whole disease thing whether it is or it's not the way i see it is you know i don't think it is but even if it is even if it is it shouldn't be thought of that way because when you think of it as a disease it's like okay when i'm on the treadmill right when i'm on the treadmill and I know for this minute, I'm going to have this speed on this pass. I have to stay at that speed or else I'll be in the next room through the wall. You understand? <laughs> oh, yeah. You understand? When I try to do that same thing on the street, even though for this minute to this minute, I run at top speed as I would be on the treadmill, subconsciously, I know I'm not on the treadmill. So I do slow down without even realizing when you think and you're hardwired to think this is an illness, this is a disease, and it never goes away, it never will go away. It never will go away. And I think that when we think that way, even though we don't realize it, sometimes we will gravitate that way and go get high because we feel that we are sick and the world has to understand that. I don't see it that way at all. I know a lot of people do, but I think they're hurting themselves more than helping themselves. Yes, it, we're definitely different. There's no way we're the same. You get people that can drink three beers, you know, have cocaine left over. Yeah. Got, so, yeah, I got left over, right? I got like, you got those people. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're not those people. No. But I think to go and say it's an illness like that and a disease, I think it may very well be that. But I don't know if that really helps people like us. When we, when we feel, because it's like, we're like pariahs. We are sick and we got to be pushed away here. 
It just doesn't serve you any purpose. I think it's it's. Uh, I think it does you a disservice. I, I, you know what I mean? That's my own opinion. Yeah, no, but you I can tell you mean? what does people. I can tell you what does people right. a service is when you tell your story. Because when I heard it, you're the last time as we get to your sobriety, um, I won't take up too much more of your time. But you oh, you get to you get to Rikers Island, which is like schools out. I mean, the way you describe it is it's like the scariest place on earth, and that's where you overdose, and then you keep using a, a little more, but then finally something happens. Like, take right. us through that sequence where you get that gift of desperation, or the light goes on. <laughs> Or whatever happens where Lilo is going to change his life. In, in, in jail and then ultimately in prison. Because Rikers is in jail. Right. Um, it was, you know, like, you know, November. November 18, 2006 when it was the last time I used it. But, and I remember that was, uh, you know, I stored it four bags. It was in Rikers Island. I hadn't went to the box yet. Because I knew I was going. I knew I was going to the box because I already got. Which is like solitary, killed. right? <laughs> yeah, but you don't go right away. You get the ticket, you have a hearing, and then they find you guilty or not. They bring what's called an adjudication captain from another building, so they don't even know you. They could be fair and impartial. You have the person that writes the ticket. They give it to the adjudication captain. She puts the tape recorder on. She says, so-and-so is being charged with this and this. How do you plead? And then, you know, you have all of that. So it was a little bit they found me guilty. They, you know, they gave me a urinalysis. So I was positive and it was morphine M O R. It was C the, 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 the drug tests were for M E T methamphetamine, C O C cocaine, THC marijuana, and then M O R morphine. So I guess that was the opiate side. Yeah, it was, but I remember specifically it was M O R and that's what I was taking was morphine and heroin. I was getting the M the M S content, at church, and then I was getting the, the heroin upstairs. So, you know, it was the ticket, you know, because the, they got to find room for you and whatever. So, boom, I go to the box, and I got my friend Corey Rabin, who's like my mentor. Uh, Sober. He's also, he was a, he's a real estate lawyer. He's all in a few other type kinds of law. Well, but he did closings for my dad. My dad was a builder. So we knew Corey's dad was a judge, passed away, Mr. Red, judge Rabin. Uh, my cousin Pat was there on the visit as well, but we've known Corey, you know, like I was just on his, he has a podcast called Crosstalk. So, but yeah, I, I went to, you know, like I was in there and I remember just the way they, they weren't happy to see me. And, you know, like, it was like, because it's like, you know, we're, we're, we're here, we're supporting you. You're still doing this stuff. Like what's wrong with you? This is after you. OD. For, yeah. Yeah. And this is when I was in solitary that they finally bought me there. And now, you know, I gotta, I'm going to be here for a few months because I got 80 days. So I was in there and I remember them just being very disappointed and just something clicked. And when I was walking back to my cell, I really felt that God was going to give me another chance, that it was all up to me, that the ball was in my court, that all you have to do, Lilo, for me to give you another chance is just stay sober. Just don't, don't use it anymore. And I thought to myself, for some reason, it felt easy that day. It just felt like, because, you know, like, even though it's a yes or no thing, how hard is it? Yeah. You know what I mean? That's like, so like when you have cancer, you're sick, you're sick. But this is a sickness that you choose because it's right there in front of you to not choose it. Right. It's yeah. right there. Choose it, But we do choose it. 
So what the hell happens, right? What the hell happens to us? It's like a, it's like a, it's like a, a temporary form of possession. You become possessed. Yeah. Something, right? Yeah. It's like you, something else comes in, but that day, it felt like that was lifted. It felt like God said, "Okay, you've seen everything you need to see, and you, you know, you handled it well." But obviously, I have a plan for you. And that plan is for you to now live your life the right way and stay clean. Because if you do that, because of the Bronx Tale and the Sopranos and all of these things that you did, people will listen to you. Yeah. You have a platform, Lilo. You have to do this for me. You have to do this for yourself. And it felt like that day, all of that was happening. And it was just all coming. And it was like, okay, I know. It's like, okay, it was, I know what to do now. But now it's like, I have a murder case, you know I mean? I yeah. have a murder charge in front of me that I have to get past, um, you know, before. Yeah, so how did I your perspective, actually... how did your perspective shift? Because that's the main thing. I mean, how you look at things really has to change in order for your, for somebody to stay sober. At least that's my experience. How did that happen for you? Because you're still in, you're still facing this murder right. rap. Right, well, the way I looked at it now was, it was, Yes, like before I was thinking, damn, I was so afraid that I'm going to go away forever. I was partially getting high just to not feel that. But then I realized what an asset to myself and my lawyer and my case and everything else that I would be if I stayed sober. Because who knows my case better than me? You know what I mean? And, yeah. you know, I did a lot of research, a lot. I studied the law. I honestly think if someone got charged with felony murder, burglary right now, I would be able to represent them in court. I would be able to look at the case and I would be able to know, you know, my man, you got to take a plea bargain. There's no way out of this one. But then there was, I'm telling you. Yeah. I even, I even did, Joe Tacopina, you know, by the way, he represented Trump for, for a little bit. He was your attorney. That's correct. I, yeah. I mean, I had Joe, I mean, I first saw Joe in uh, 2006 because I had Mel Sachs who was my lawyer. He was great, great attorney as well. He died of pancreatic cancer. August 30th, 2006, which was my birthday. Jeez. It was my 30th birthday. He died. So then I was like, what the hell? My parents knew him. They used to go see him. My dad used to bring him this cheese that he liked. He used to come over to the house. My mom used to cook for him. So they got close with Mel. And my parents like, that was like the only, that was like, he was like, he was the only thing from like keeping my parents from like jumping off the roof at that time. He was, he was there to comfort them. He was very good with them and they, he made them sleep better at night. And I was so thankful for that man for doing that for my parents, but then he died. So then my parents were like, what are we doing now? So, you know, my cousin Pat, who's an attorney, uh, I did whatever research I could from inside I passed on, you know, like I spoke to him and asked him to do some research for me. These few attorneys, uh, Joe was one of them, uh, Ben Brothman, you know, and so a couple guys I looked up, Robert Gottlieb. Sure. And I ultimately went with Joe and, uh, you know, it, it, it turned out to be a pretty good decision. He's still a very good personal friend of mine. And, uh, I mean, he was great. What can I say? Yeah. So you, know? you, you, you get charged. I mean, you, you get sentenced to eight, eight years. And you start to, you know, like you were. Well, I got 10 years. Oh, gotcha. And you and served eight. 
Right, I was supposed to do eight and a half, but I got my degree. I got my degree that I paid for. I got a college degree. So they gave me the LCTA, the limited credit time allowance, gave me six months time cut. So I went home January 1st instead of July 1st. Because eight and a half years would have been 85%. That's what you do on a violent crime. And then you do 65% on a nonviolent. So if I would, you know, like, yeah. if I would have got 10 years on the nonviolent, I would have done six and a half. You know what I mean? You don't really get 10 years for a nonviolent. I mean, unless you did the same thing like 100 times. But, but still, it was, you know, it was what it was. Um, I went there. I made the best of it. Yeah. How did, you find, how did you find any kind of recovery? When you were in, in, in prison? Well, you got to find it from within yourself. You got to realize why you're there. Like, think about it. God took you out of society and, you know, far removed you from where you're from and your friends and your family and put you in a place where it is about recovery. You're here to recover and correct the mistakes, Department of Corrections. So I realized that. That night, you know, when I was in Rikers at the attorney visit, my cousin and my friend came. When that, everything was mapped out for me after that night. I knew what I had to do. I saw the light. You know what I mean? I knew God's going to give me another chance. All I have to do is my part, this. And if I do this, he's going to do that for me. So it was pretty clear. It's like, you know what? I'm going to be home. I'm still going to be in my 30s. Yeah. I'm keeping my own shape. So who's got, you know, like, yeah, someone did die. And, you know, like, you know, we never forget about that. But I'm still going to be able to come home and enjoy my family. It's still, you know, a young age. It doesn't mean that you give up because this situation went so tragic. I mean, you know, you had the fire in your belly. And and you're you're helping people, which I believe is the best amends, the living amends. And you're, you're out there working your ass off. How do you... You know, I would imagine in a situation like yourself, really the only way out is sobriety and, and working out and, and talking to other addicts. Um, you know, how, how did your life change going forward when you got out? Because, again, you come out, you, start, you stay in New York. Some people, like you said, there's a stigma attached to the whole situation. But you still found a way to, to, to cut right through it. How, how the hell do you do that? Because people are listening to this and they think, oh, man, if I get it, you know, I got five DUIs and I can't stop drinking. You know, how the hell am I going to get through all this legal shit and my personal life? You did that. I mean, I just put it, I framed it in a way where I had no choice that this is what I have to do because of all the bad decisions. This is what it is. And this is part of what God said he needed me to do. Just get through all this and then you're going to be. And I did. I did in the best way I knew how. I had no, not much money when I first came home. I remember I used a lot of it just to pay tickets and all the fines and all the other shit that I had. And I just slowly, you know, I kind of like lived my life like this. I kind of tried not to get distracted. And I just knew that I had to be a different person. And I just had to live my life the right way. And it was just like recovery. You know, they say one day at a time. I think it's even, you know, even one hour at a time. <clears throat> but those same rules apply with something like this. Because you're recovering from everything that has happened. Like the addiction. It's the same. So I'm recovering from two things. So I just, you know, applied the same things. And just let me get through today. Not get in trouble. Not get high. And be better than I was yesterday. Boom. Next day. Just let me get through today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not get high. 
be a little better than yesterday. Next day, you know, you just keep doing that. How, how's your like, en- you how's your energy so good? Better than yesterday. How's your energy so huh? good? Yeah, you got great energy. How, what's 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 behind that? Oh, I think you know, like I, I attribute a lot to a lot of it to working out. Yeah, like I said, I worked so hard today today that I'm just like ooh, so calm, but in you know, in a good way. Yeah, you know what I mean. I knew we were going to do this, so I'm, you know, I'm ready, brother. I'm ready. <laughs> so a couple more so, things uh, before, before we end because we're almost up to it here. What do you tell people that need or that don't have hope that are trying to get sober? It's just a much better way to live your life. It's so, you know, it's just... Uh, the, you'll know that once you get there, but it's just that little piece in the you know just like where you have to change your whole lifestyle i mean it's like what i can say like the best thing i can say is it's a lot better to live your life this way just you know you just gotta you just gotta get there you gotta really want it and push through that beginning part where you have to make those necessary changes you gotta change some of the people in your life you have you have to change some of the places that you go to in your life and you have to change some of the things that you do you know but once you get that and back on track, it's like you'll never want to look back. You know what I mean? And if it is a disease, it is a disease. But never think of it that way. I'm telling you, never think of it that way because I think it'll get the best of you every time. And you won't even realize it. The subconscious is very powerful. So you, by the way, so you get sober. Uh, you, you, I heard you tell a story. You're running on the treadmill at 530 in the morning and one of the guys who's, who did hair and makeup with you on, I think, for the Woody yeah, Allen Jerry- movie. Yeah, he's like, hey, De Niro's right. down here. He wants to see how you're doing. Like, so clearly they're talking about you. De Niro cares about you. Um, and he wanted to see it. I mean, that's got to be, that's one of those miracles in sobriety, I think, Lilo, that, that, that's really, really cool that moves people forward. You're exactly right. You know, like, if Jerry's saying Bob's got a, a light day, we'd love to see you. We're right in the air because he maybe came to put the wig on. I didn't live there anymore, though. <clears throat> I didn't live there anymore. But I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't even have a license. Dad's car. I went down, and I saw. So obviously, you know, you absolutely. They were probably talking about it, and Jerry, because I've seen. You know, I know Jerry. I've worked with him on that. I've seen him. We have mutual friend Steve from from L.A. So you know, Jerry's came to a couple of screenings and stuff. So you know, Jerry's a good guy. I follow him on Instagram. He's, you know, great guy. So he, you know, he he, he must have told Bob he's doing well and this and that. And the Bobby's about, you know, Bobby's about second chances. You know what I mean? That's, you know, he's, he's a really good guy. And, you know, he realizes people make mistakes, you know? And uh, so for him to say he would love to see you, because Bob, you know, Bobby could have also said, listen, eh, you know what? Don't bring him around. I'd rather not, you know, especially if I'm more, you know, he could have said that and Jerry would have never mentioned it, but he did. Yeah. And, you know, so I took opportunity. It was great to see Bob. Uh it was it was kind of surreal because it was like meeting him all over again. Everything that's happened, I hadn't seen him in such a long time, and he's got like these platforms on. He's like six. It was when they were four. filming the Irishman. Got... Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so you know, but uh, yeah, I spoke to his, his daughter recently. You know, she lost her son at the hands of addiction. Mm-hmm. Leandro, was very sad. He was a young kid, he was like nineteen, twenty years old. Poor kid. Um, so yeah, I spoke to her. And, you know, she's going through a tough time, you know, and uh, I, I would imagine, you know, Bob as well. That was grandson. That's part of the, that's part of the service you you can provide at least. 
you know, like talking uh-huh. to you, that's part of the stuff you provide talking to people going like we have a unique quality now where like people that are, that are hit by this thing, like a ton of bricks, they can talk to us. All right. Last thing you're, you're writing, you're still acting, you're working at more life recovery. Uh, you know, how do you find all the time to manage such, such a busy schedule now? Uh, I mean, cause you really are very busy. Um, you know, you make time for the things that you want to do and the things that are important to you. So it kind of comes easy. You know, these are priorities. Um, you know, the, the more life, you know, I, I just feel that that is the most important thing in my life because, you know, I'm there and, you know, I got these kids that I see in the groups and, you know, they're there in recovery. And I was once exactly where they were. And these are like, you know, it's not only kids because there's grown men and women. But these are, you know, these are human beings and these people, you know, this, these are, these are people's children, you know, and I think about how important of a responsibility that is, you know, and to just go there and I see some, you know, the hurt in some of their eyes and just what they're going through. And like I said, I know exactly where they've been. And it's like, almost like you said, like a special power to be able to now, like, you know, do your best and even have a pretty good shot at bringing some other person's kid back to them safe and sound there's no better feeling than that than having some kid's mother or father you know get in touch with you two months later and say hey Lilo I'm Scott Brandon's dad and you know he's doing really well he talks about you all the time he's going to meetings and he's you know he started doing the things he loves again thank you so much man got my son back stuff like that like I'll start crying right now you know what I mean like that's what it's really about you know what I mean yeah stuff like that uh, yeah. Well, th- yo, thank you for sharing that power with us today. I've I've gone over. I, I appreciate your time so much. I've always, you know, followed you, looked up to you, and it's cool to see how well you're doing now. We're the exact same age, pretty much. So, you know, thank you very much for all you're doing. I mean, literally, recovery. You were like, hey, no problem. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate and I appreciate your time. And thank you so much for having me on, brother. Thanks so much for listening to The Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Network production. 